Hey guys, Pastor Jurgen here. I'm so glad you're tuning into one of our powerful messages that is guaranteed to absolutely elevate your life to another level. At Awaken, we only want to preach fresh, real, powerful to help you grow stronger in your walk with God, develop your faith so you can take more territory. I'm praying that God blesses you and enriches your soul as you listen to this amazing word from God. God bless you. It's exciting to see you. It's exciting to discover you. I was actually in this building uh, for a Clay Clark Reawaken America event. And, and the reason why you were on my radar is because he could not find a place. It was like the dove could not find a place for the sole of her foot as it went off of Noah's Ark and came back with an olive branch or something in its mouth. Here's the reality of it. I said, what church would allow, uh, you know, General Michael Flynn, myself, or the Trumps or whatever to come in? Because they all would close down. Hotels would close down. It was bizarre. Nobody wanted to host a platform with freedom of speech and free ideas. This building was the one we came to. Right here. Right here. So when I heard I had an invitation from that place, I said, take it. I don't even care what it is. I don't even know who they are. I'll go back to that place. They've got the kind of courage that I'm, I, I love to see. So let's talk real quick. Now, we got a whiteboard here, which is an interesting contrast to all this glorious video technology. It's kind of like, you know, we have Disney Studios back there and tic-tac-toe up here, but we're going to do it. What I want you to think about is I'm very jealous for this group. I don't even want to talk about these products here. I'm going to tell you why they're back there. This breaking controlling spirits quickly. I believe that one of the great technologies in the New Testament church that we have lost is the gifts of the Spirit. And in the gifts of the Spirit, praying in the Spirit is one of the great weapons we have not fully operated in. When I was at Trump Towers, first of all, I'm teaching, I'm I'm preaching, I've got a consulting business, I'm in my niche, I'm like 60 years old, 59 years old. This is what I'm supposed to do, and I'm convinced this is my calling. Then I end up getting sucked into the vortex of, uh, of a political movement, and there's no media in the church covering it. So I end up moving from the pulpit over here to opening up broadcast. Now, we've, in one year, we've got like 9 million downloads off of our podcast because Christians want to hear about things that many churches are afraid to talk about. So I, so I said, I've got to expand the pulpit and go over here into the secular news space and start telling Christians what's going on over there in politics. So as I'm, I'm doing that, I end up at Trump Towers. I'm sitting there meeting with Donald Trump. I'm thinking, and then and all of a sudden, we're dealing with economics and race issues and political backlash and hate speech. And, and I'm looking at this, and I'm going, I have no training for this at all. My entire life is not a preparation for this. And I'm saying under my breath, what am I doing here? And the Lord said to me, as clear as any prophecy in your ear, Every time you pray in tongues, you tell me this is what you want to do. Think about that. If you want to go on the adventure of your life, be led by the Spirit. But to be led by the Spirit, you're going to have to be releasing something from your spirit. He that prayeth in an unknown tongue edifies himself, the Bible says. My spirit prays. My understanding doesn't know what the heck I'm talking about. My spirit knows. Your spirit knows your destiny. Your spirit knows your calling. Your spirit knows where your face is supposed to be in the future. 
And if you're led by your head, you're dead because your spirit is going in a different direction. So I find myself in the most bizarre circumstance where I feel completely ill-equipped. Like Joseph goes to Egypt to a land where he knows not their language. Imagine this. The man's destiny is going to be fulfilled in a place where he doesn't even know how they communicate. But that's the way God will treat you. You've got, if you want to have a prophetic uh, weekend, we might as well have a prophetic weekend. And talk. I'm going to tell you all the things I wish they told me when I started. Pray strong in the spirit and then watch the chaos unfold around you as God causes you to catch up with where you're supposed to be. All right, so that's breaking controlling spirits. The scepter of Esther, this is, a, this is an unusual teaching, but I'll tell you why I got it. It's the scepter of Esther and the, uh, and the signet ring. Two things that are interesting in the book of Esther is that every time, the, we all talk about the favor of God, the favor of God. Well, that's okay, that's good, but let's go a little deeper now. The favor of God was upon her, which gave her access to the throne room, and when the king extended his scepter, she was she had access to the throne, and when she had access to the throne, decisions could be made that would affect the nation. So the favor positioned her to have the scepter in her direction. So I'm looking at that scepter of Esther and realizing that there's a prophetic symbolism there. When you are doing what God called you to do, praying what he called you to pray, you're in alignment with an assignment that was created before you were born, the scepter of is extended to you to fulfill that for which you were prophetically called to do, and you have authority to access heaven. But that's heaven. When it comes to earth, the signet ring, and you'll notice the signet ring and the scepter are both mentioned almost continuously in the book of Esther. People never link it. The signet ring, I got it on my finger here. Someone gave me one. The signet ring is the, is the, is the visa card of the Bible. It's where they didn't have a credit card system, but you had an intricate insignia for your royal house, your authority, and your office. And on a wax document, when you imprint that signet ring and pull it out, it's the signature of the king on the document, meaning it's divinely authorized and must be executed. The signet ring anointing is the ability you have by the Holy Spirit to be able to supernaturally, through the power of utterance, Speak in such a way that you imprint into the hearts of men an impression on the soft wax of their mind, something which when you leave them, they cannot get rid of. This is what Charles Grandison Finney said was the essence of the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the endowment of power from on high. This evangelist we read about in history, we sing these songs about revival. Here's what Finney, arguably the greatest revivalist of the 21st century, had 80% of his converts stayed with him. Billy Graham had 10%. Billy Graham, God bless him, did a brilliant job. Finney had 80% of the people that got saved stayed saved. They stayed walking with God. And he said, here's what I found out. When I received this, this powerful visitation from God, so strong that I begged him to stop lest he kill me. When I walked in that power, a few words spoken by me in the place I was supposed to be to the people God had called me to talk to, fix an impression upon them like a barbed hook in their conscience, and I reeled in souls for Christ in every place that I went. He said, and then I noticed that the power would dissipate. And he said, and I'd be curious as to I'd be preaching, but I wasn't having the same effect. I wasn't seeing this mighty power come in and take over the group. 
and I inquired of the Lord, why did the power lift? And inevitably, with a day or two of fasting and prayer, God would show me the sin, the disposition, the subtle way in which I was deviating from that walk that I had with him, which allowed that power to operate. And when I would see it and repent, the power came back with all its freshness. And he said, this has been the experience of my entire life in ministry. What a powerful statement. The signet ring anointing is the anointing on you that allows you to have the ability to fix the impression God wants to release through you. Because our whole gospel message is one that is done through the proclamation of the word of God. All the other things that come, political or cultural, is a byproduct of a spirit-filled person walking in the, in, 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 the, in the assignment of God, speaking what God tells him to speak. Does this make sense? So let's talk about the, uh, the, the picture, the framework. Oh, walking away from all these other products. Anyway, we'll stop there. That's good enough. Now, the big stuff that's there is coaching for convergence. Let's talk about convergence. That's where I want to go with you anyway. Ultimately, if you're, once you're born again, the ultimate issue is, are you saved? Because if you don't know Jesus and you're visiting here and someone dragged you to church today, great. You better settle that issue. Because as you can hear, we're pretty sold on this subject right now. <laughs> We've examined it. I've been, you know, doing this thing for, if it, if it wasn't real, I wouldn't be doing this. But the big question for, like, the rest of you is not settling the issue of your salvation. You will stand before Jesus and give an account of your life. It's the fear of the Lord that actually delivers the end-time church from the corruption of the culture around them. You're living in, in an increasing environment of invasive uh, temptation and pressure and satanic um, dialogue all around you to bring you down, to contaminate you, to defile you. It's the only thing that really keeps the church, first century or last century, is the revelation of the reality of God, the presence of God, and the realization you're accountable to him and you know it. When I slip out of my mortal body, I shall render an account for everything I thought, everything I said, everything I did, and I live with that awareness now, and that's the fear of the Lord. It doesn't paralyze me because I adore Jesus. I don't want to. I want to have, I want to come before his presence with joy, and I want to present to him like the Apostle Paul. Boy, I have some anointing today. Wow. I want to present to him a life that is uh, reflective of what he wanted me to do. The nice thing is you don't have to innovate. You don't have to come up with a good plan. You don't get graded at the judgment seat based on creativity. You get, you get graded based upon fidelity to what he called you to do. Now, I said this to someone yesterday who's a big business guy. I coach, I coach these business guys that are, that are, that are high-end business people. And, uh, and they're always talking big because their call is scalability. They do movies. They do projects. I mean, they're involved with Supreme Court cases. They're, they play big, and they ought to. But I reminded him. I said, you know what the temptation is? The temptation is to assume that bigger is God. Because Jesus never left Israel. He never left the real estate of a nation that was a subjected people, beaten by Rome. If he wanted to go talk to the winners, he should have gone to Rome. He talked to the losers. He talked to a people that were already occupied by a foreign power in a real estate development that was not the size of New Jersey. And he never left it. And when the Greeks came to him and said, we want to hear you, 
The moment he knew his message was hitting Greece and Rome, he said, my job's done because I wasn't sent to them. I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Why is that happening? I was sent to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. I'll take a handheld. I'll take a letter for five. Here we go. All right, how's that? Let's see. Let's see what happens now. So Jesus did not go outside. Here's the point. You're, 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 this will help you when you're pastoring a church and you say, and the devil comes and says, well, you could be doing something bigger. Or you're in a business and the devil says to you, you could own your own business if you did this or that. Understand, in America, we almost worship the cult of big and successful. So that if you have name, brand, equity, that's what you want to have. The temptation there is that you leave obedience to the assigned sphere that you're in because you think God is in the bigger thing. Now what you'll find out is Jesus took the devil out and repossessed the entire earth by being faithful to stay in the assignment God gave him, even if it wasn't as glamorous or as big as what he could have done. Now here's the secret. The kinds of leaders you've got, the kinds that God is raising up, I'm, I'm looking at them and I believe this, are those that are simply saying yes to whatever the Father calls them to do, and if they pass that test, God can give them big things because they prove themselves faithful in the smaller ones. Does that make sense to you? So that's, that's, that's the coaching material. So let's take a look at, with the whiteboard, uh, the subject, and where's the time here? I got, okay, 24 minutes there. Let's go down and look at, uh, I'm going to talk about convergence for a second. Convergence, because now I realize that you're, you're doing a prophetic uh, weekend. Let's look at the evidence that God has already put your face into the future, and, and we'll find that assignment. Here we go to uh, Acts chapter 9. I'm sorry that I didn't tell your team here what the verses were before I got here, because when you're doing a prophetic event, you don't know what you're going to be doing until you get there. A little, a little hint when you have a prophetic conference. So uh, on chapter 9, the Apostle Paul is, is, is going to be converted then. He's, he's right now a terrorist. He's like Al-Qaeda working for the Jerusalem mob. He's hunting down Christians and taking them out. God deals with him, knocks him down, blinds him, says, hello, I'm Jesus. You've made a big mistake. The Apostle Paul, oh, who are you, Lord? He finds out. He's trying to update himself. He's in, he's in apostolic timeout for a couple of days, blind and fasting, and he's given a vision. And he's given a vision of a man named Ananias coming in and uh, laying hands on him. Now, he's blind, so he is in a vision seeing through the spiritual eyes. His natural eyes are dull. He can't see. And he sees the face of a man whose name is Ananias, and he's laying hands on him, and when he lays hands on him, his sight comes to him, and when he opens his eyes, hopefully Ananias is going to be in front of him. What's interesting to me is the sequence that takes place. So, you go to this chapter 9, and it says, Saul is now waiting in Damascus, three days without sight, doesn't eat, doesn't drink. Now, there was a certain disciple in Damascus, verse 10, it says, named Ananias, to whom the Lord said in a vision, Ananias, and he says, here I am, Lord. And the Lord said, arise and go to the street called Straight and inquire at the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he is praying. And in a vision, I want you to see this, he has already seen, he has seen a man named Ananias coming in and putting his hands on him so that he might receive his sight. 
And then Ananias begins to argue with God and says, well, well, well uh, Saul, I've heard a lot of bad things about him. He's not necessarily the guy, you know, you want me to go to, do you? Because he's just, he's hauling us off to prison and beating us. And the Lord says, go, because he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel. I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. I want you to see the, the key here, and Kim Clement taught me this. He said, the interesting thing here is that in a vision, he has already seen a man named Ananias. Now, this is curious because if you wanted to draw it out schematically, it's like this. He's saying, Ananias is here, and the Lord says, I've already shown him your face. When he opens his eyes, it better be your face he sees because here's the weird thing. God went to Saul first and said, here's what I'm going to do. Then he goes back to, it was me. I would have gone to Ananias first to make sure he's going to go deliver the FedEx package. I wouldn't go to the recipient and say, here's the face of the postman. Because the postman may not obey. He has every reason not to. He is afraid of going in that direction. But what it tells you is this, that when you're dealing with destiny, here's Ananias, you could say, here is you. And this is where God put his future face. And here's what Kim Clement told me. He said, your assignment prophetically in life is to get your butt where your face is. <laughs> if, you, if you remember nothing else that I taught, get your butt where your face is. My face was at Trump Towers. My face was in politics. My face was in media. My face was in controversy. My face there would get me locked out of 90% of the churches that used to love to have me because I was going somewhere, Jesus took me, that alienated me from where everybody else was. Now here's the deal. I started studying this and I realized that there's this kind of dimension of life, I call it level 1010 living. It's how much of your destiny are you actually appropriating? How much of God's purpose are you actually living? Because let's say for my, for my wealthy guys, I started saying, well, this is really what you call an XY axis, if you look at, if you, look at you know, the way that I look at stuff. And on this XY axis, or, or as you study it, it's really saying something interesting. It's saying that David shepherded Israel with skillfulness of hands and integrity of heart. So here we've got something curious. We've got the two axes that God looks at is you must have wisdom to and skill in order to know and execute on what you do. So listen, the video team, the worship team, the, 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 the pastor's skill, the, the people that are talking to the platform, evidently gifted and they understand their craft well. They're good communicators, they're compelling, they're engaging. There is a skill that they possess or are, are, are developing and a wisdom in what they're doing in a church plant like this, and another one, and another one, and another one. There's, there's a wisdom here. But without the integrity of heart, without the sustained passion on the assignment, it's possible. So let's say that this is 1, 5, 10. 1, 5, 10. Here's my challenge to you. How clear are you on your face in the future? Clarity, wisdom, perception. Do you know what you're saying yes to so that you can say no to things that are irrelevant to where God put your face? That's the real art of prophetic living. But at the same time, if you're living at a level five clarity and then your heart 
doesn't sustain its passion in the devotion for the adventure with God. Then you could be like, well, I'm kind of not, I'm not really seeking God these days. I'm kind of, I feel like the flame is going out on the altar and I'm overcome, I'm going through a lot of hassles right now. Look at this. A lot of believers live at a level five, you can get away with it, you're still going to heaven. They're about a level five clarity, they're not quite sure, they're fumbling around doing this, a little bit of that. This is how much, if you're in sales, this is how much money you're leaving on the table. From five to 10, that's why some have more than others and they both are walking with Jesus. One of them is clearer and more disciplined in the execution of doing what they're called to do and they're doing it full of the spirit or in a state that God can show up in. Soul winning, I've got evangelists. If souls is the currency of your work, and it ought to be for all of us, but I'll tell you something. If your business is going to be evangelism, then how many souls are you leaving on the table because you're not clear about how to do what you're called to do and you're half preoccupied with your own battle instead of showing up in a state where you're focused on the soul God's giving you? Do you see the X, Y axis idea? So to me, this level 10 thinking is, is, is rather important. So I'll tell you what I need. I need a volunteer because I'm holding a microphone, holding this. Volunteer, could you erase the board? And while you erase it, it'll move around on you. Don't worry about it. All right, so here's, here's my next premise for you. Your face is in the future. Are we, are we clear on that? But it will require a certain sustained disposition of heart. Now, here's the fun thing. You won't always have goosebumps and be all juiced up and excited. But that's where faith and grace comes. That's very good. I see what you've done. <laughs> All right, so <laughs> so here's, here's where I want to go with this. There's a word that um, I want you all to say, say convergence. Now, this is where I got my, uh, this is where I do my advanced study stuff. Convergence is when you're doing your level 10 living, you're up there, this level 10, 10, is achieved by a certain number of people in the body of Christ that are, that are walking with the Lord. And I'll tell you who they are. This is so fascinating, this whole idea. They're the people who have somehow entered into a role that empowers them to do what they are gifted to do 100% of the time or 80% of the time. In other words, convergence is the place where you went, enter into the work that God has called you to do before you were born and you're living in the flow of the script that already has divine appointments set into it. So think about this. When you're walking into the script that God already wrote, God has already gone before you to orchestrate everything that is necessary for that script to be fulfilled. So when Jesus goes to Jerusalem, and uh, they have not prepared a room yet, and they've got a million festive followers that are going to be going to the conference on Passover, and he's going to show up with these 12 guys. He doesn't have a restaurant or a hotel or a vehicle with which to even get into the city. But it's all been prescripted. So he calls for his disciples. He said, go into the town, and, we're, and it's already been taken care of. I know that we're late on the reservations. Don't worry about all that. You're going to go into town. I want you to go to this certain tavern. You're going to see a colt um, and a donkey tie up, up front. Untie the colt. Bring the colt to me. And by the way, if the owner comes out and says, what the heck are you doing stealing my car, just say the master has need of him and will return him. It's kind of like a Jedi mind trick. The master has need of him and will return him. Just use those words. 
and he'll let you go have it. They go, really? This, he's training them how to walk by faith. They go into town. They go, hey, there's the tavern over there. They go to the tavern. There's the cult tied up. Okay, let's steal it. He takes it. They untie it. As they're walking off with the cult, think about this. The guy, hey, 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 what are you guys doing? The master has need of him and will return him. Okay. Jesus gets on the cult. Now, the same thing he says, now, uh, where are we going to go do the supper? He says, okay. Jesus is operating prophetically by what we call a word of wisdom, which is the ability to see the future script that was already written. We, we, are, we are swimming in such shallow waters right now in the church world because God has already got stuff set up for you. The word of wisdom is that aspect of the prophetic gifting. We all, everybody says word of wisdom is supernatural wisdom. That's because they don't know what a word of wisdom is. Word of wisdom is a visionary gift to see the future script. The word of wisdom shows you what God has already in his wisdom provided for you. So now, when you go into town, you're going to see a man with a jug of uh, water on his head. Follow him. Follow him. He's going to lead you into an upper chamber. When you get to the upper chamber, tell the guy that's in charge of the chamber, the master has need of this, and, uh, and he wants to meet with his disciples. He'll be ready. He's already been talked to. I've already talked to him. He's waiting for you to show up. But follow the guy with the jug of water on his head. It's fascinating, right? So what that tells you is convergence is when you're walking in that script. It's when your gifts, talents, and acquired skills are intersecting with your personal history and the experiences you've had to put you into this unique position where you're doing what you were created to do before you were born. 20% of leaders in the body of Christ, according to the data that we've covered, actually are in conversion. Now, these are Christian leaders that come out of like seminary, Fuller Theological Seminary, where the data study was done. 20%, Bobby Clinton, who runs the study, over 30 years, says 20% feel, these are preachers, feel that they're in convergence. 80% feel they're not. And there's various reasons why they don't go to convergence. But what I want you to catch is this. Here in, in Acts uh, 13, the Apostle Paul now serving God, by the way, how many minutes do I have here? Okay, 11? Got it. The Apostle Paul serving God is in a church in Antioch with certain prophets and teachers. Barnabas, Simeon, who's called Niger, Lucius, and it names who the certain prophets and teachers. It's very important that you hang out with the right people because the right people provide the context for hearing the right message from heaven. So there were certain prophets and teachers. Notice among them is Barnabas and Saul, which tells you something. Barnabas and Saul at this point are prophets and teachers and not apostles. There are 12 apostles. These are not among them, but they are called to be apostles when they enter convergence. So as they ministered to the Lord and fasted, the Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. This just leapt right off the page when I saw this. Separate these two for the work. Well, I'm trying to figure out what were Barnabas and Saul doing before they were separated? They were prophets and teachers. Weren't they working for the Lord? Of course they were. And so are all of you. Because all of us are doing what God called us to do while we are preparing for the convergence when he sets us aside to do what we were ultimately created to do and this is the training and preparation ground that causes us to go to that level 10 clarity, level 10 skill, level 10 managed state of heart so that he can release us to 
the 20% that gets set apart to do what they were created to do. Does that make sense? Now, it's a lot to take in if you don't read the Bible a lot and get this, but you'll, trust me, it's a bestseller for a reason. There's a lot of stuff in here. So they laid hands on them, separating them for the work they were called to do, and immediately, when they entered into convergence, these guys, boom, when, they're, when you're in that zone, it's a hundredfold life. It's a whole game change when you're in the 1010 zone of convergence. First thing that happens is they go through an office upgrade. They're no longer prophets and teachers. They are now the apostles. But what's interesting, too, is an identity upgrade. Because in convergence, Saul and Barnabas is now going to be Paul. And what's curious about this is Barnabas and Saul were set apart, but it's Paul and Barnabas from Acts 9 forward, meaning the name changed, the rank changed, the order changed, and the office changed. That's the ultimate upgrade in convergence. And what, what I want to tell you is that God's purpose for America, for San Diego, is that he wants to be able to take his people through an accelerated development so that they can move more quickly into the place of living the life of a spirit-filled life of faith in the convergence zone. Now, to do that, we have a bit of a challenge. I'll give you one more illustration here. And the challenge is this, and I'll, I'll amplify on the, in the next service on this message. The challenge is culture itself is not properly understood. So when we talk about, oh, God of revival, we're all about revival. I don't even think the church understands technically what revival is. I heard the preacher say it. Revival is for the church here. Revival is for the believer that sets you on fire, or you could say, on the path of convergence, where your focus is on the Lord, your heart is in the right place, and you're pressing into the wisdom and knowledge and skill of what's necessary to do what is pleasing to the Lord. The church revived is pushing into that 10-10 conversion zone. They're moving corporately into it. But that's revival. What America needs is, and we'll talk about this later, there are seven, when the Jews, my forefathers, went into the land of Israel, they were told, you're going to go into a land that's occupied by giants. You got the, um, you got the Philistines. You got the Amalekites. The, you got all kinds of uh, Perizzites and Canaanites and Hivites and Jebusites and, and Bud Lights, whatever. You're going to have to deal with all of the lights. And you're a little Jewish people, and they're big. They've been there a long time, and by the way, they're in fortified cities, and you're wandering in with your tents. So don't freak out because I am giving you that territory. But understand, you are at a serious disadvantage. So don't let anyone come to you and say, you realize how impossible this is what you're trying to do? Because it is impossible without me. So if you talk about San Diego or the United States or changing the world, the more educated you are on what you're getting involved with, the more you realize it's probably not going to happen unless God decides he wants to do something unusual. But these seven verticals, these seven mind molders of culture, these seven mountains, the higher up you go, the stronger the demonic powers. At the top of these are things called gates. The gates are occupied by gatekeepers. In the top of each arena, there's a handful of people that control 90% of the influence over that vertical. So you go to, you go to economics, you're going to have to go to Wall Street. 
So in business, you're going to have to deal with the Fed. You're going to have to deal with Wall Street. If you're going to go to the arts and entertainment area, you're going to have to go to Hollywood. You're going to have to go to the people that fund Netflix and stuff like that. If you want to do media, you're going to have to go to the New York Times. You're going to have to go to New York and L.A. and find out what's going on. In other words, government, and ultimately you've got to go to your state capital and you've got to go to the nation's capital. If you want to look at, uh, how many I've got? One, two, three, four, five. Oh, look, six, seven. If you want to go to uh, see what's happening in your school system that's changing everybody, you have to look at the education mountain. But my wife will tell me that the only one mountain that God has given you authority at the gate is the family mountain. In your own house, Jesus can rule. But you've got these seven gates, seven vertical institutions. Where is convergence calling you? Christians are very confused because in their obsession with revival, we think if, oh, if I could just get more filled with God's signs, wonder, spirit, oh, glory to glory. We go in this direction. We think that God will come down here and that the church will automatically change all this. I got news for you. Go to Toronto, go to Pensacola, go to any place, go to Wales, go to any place where revival happened that became like a mecca for Christians to go to, to be in the atmosphere of revival. You'll find the city and the nation was untouched because apostolically, the goal is to have a church movement like you've got that has revival that says, go ye into, and these systems have got to be invaded by that church. Those systems. So now you start to look at why is God calling us to get involved with, uh, uh, I like Charlie Kirk, why are the education? Why should we be invading the college campuses? Why should we be starting businesses? You see, if you get this revelation, this revived people will go into these systems, go into all the world, and when they go into those verticals, you have reformation. Reformation happens to institutions. Revival happens to people. Spiritual warfare is deliverance casts the devil out of a person in revival. It casts it out of a mountain in a reformation. That's why you're going to see all hell break loose on college campuses or local campuses the moment the Christian influence becomes a tipping point where it starts to put pressure on hell and pulls the curtain back and exposes Satan's agenda. Does that make sense? These seven nations, like the little children of Israel, my forefathers and Joshua had to go forth. They had to face seven nations, greater and mightier than you. So be it. They are greater men, but when you're led by the Spirit and when you're going to the battle that God assigned, what the Lord told them is, it is not you that is going, but my angel goes before you. There's a principality on that mountain. God's got an angelic force to knock it out. Your job is to walk in this realm. Their job is to walk in that realm. And when you're obedient to what heaven tells you, they go to war against the powers while you go to war against the devils. Does that make sense? So here's my, uh, I'll end this here. I believe the Lord is calling all of you to a radical upgrade in the embrace of your assignment. Because when you're going to have vision for your destiny, you'll paint that picture, oh, and maybe in some kind of a ministry context, because when I was in business, I thought I was out of the will of God. I thought, surely, Lord, I must uh, go back to uh, you know, uh, my roots, evangelism, church planning, revival. I thought that was what would please the Lord. It never really occurred to me that what God was calling me to do was to see all seven realms belong to him. 
and you are just as anointed to minister when you are on a stage as a musician or an entertainer or a best-selling author or a judge or a lawyer or a news commentator. God is raising up a people that go into every single mountain. The new paradigm is apostolic hubs, local churches, empowering believers to go into all the world around them. And remember this, you shall be the head and not the tail, above and not beneath. You don't just humbly trudge along and say, well, I'm just looking for the next life. Our problem is we don't realize that Jesus was promised nations in this life. We don't even preach it. But when he returns, when the Son of Man returns, the nations are gathered before him. And he will separate them into sheep and goat categories. We do not have a theology of nations. Consequently, we don't really have an overarching theology for our cities like San Diego because we don't know whether we're just trying to have a revival and get people saved before the Antichrist shows up or we get raptured out. The truth is, the Lord doesn't want you preoccupied with when you go. He wants you to occupy till he comes. So, so I'm praying for you now. I'm going to ask the pastor to come up here. I want to pray for you that those of you that are feeling this tension of transition, that God is calling you to something, but you're not quite sure. How many of you would say that you resonate with what I'm saying, but you're not quite sure where you're going? Well, here's the good news. You actually are walking in the faith of our father Abraham when you're not that clear. For Abraham, my forefather, went forth in search of a city and knew not where he went. I, was, I told people one time, I said, I'm, I would be, here's a great title for a spiritual leader. Follow me, I don't know where I'm going. He knew what it looked like, but he had no idea how to get there. But if you can get this picture in your spirit of what it looks like, then by a circuitous route, God will take you on a winding road to the top of the gates of influence. And in the humbleness of your obedience to the assignment, you'll realize he is preparing you to set you apart. So like a David with a few sheep, you're mastering a slingshot, you're mastering a harp. And it looks to you like it's absurd that you have an anointing and a calling to change the world and you're sitting here with a few sheep. His own brothers will remind him, you're coming out of very little, young man, with that kind of ambition on your life, a few sheep. But in that place, God developed the skill to take down Goliath and the acumen to be able to deliver a king from depression with a harp. And God will use the skills and talents you acquire in obedience in the mundane circumstances of your little shallow life right now to do exploits in the next chapter. If that is you, if you are wrestling with God and feel like maybe the mountain you're in is not the mountain you're called to, put your hand up, I wanna pray for you. If you're feeling like God is calling you in a direction that is different than where you've been, Put your hand up. Father, would you please stand to your feet? Father, I pray for those. I've been sent to everyone here, but to these particularly, I pray in the name of Jesus. Just put your hands out in front of you. All they have, all we have, we just give to you, Lord, and ask you to make our lives significant in the service that we fulfill. Enable us, Lord, to do what you created us to do. I pray that everyone here that is standing in this prophetic week will begin to see and dream a bigger picture of their future than they ever have before. 
I pray for reformation anointing to kiss revival and to produce a manifestation of your visitation in San Diego that will become historic in America. And begin with these right here in the name of Jesus. Amen. Wow, what an amazing word. I hope you enjoyed that as much as I did. Hey, listen, for more information about our church, go to www.awakenchurch.com or subscribe to our YouTube channel if you haven't already and download our app. It is amazing. It is chock full of incredible messages, information about upcoming events, and you can even support our ministry if you feel so inclined. We loved having you with us today. We look forward to seeing you again. God bless you. Live a life that is transformative. Bye for now.